All right, take your Bibles if you would. Let's go to Revelation chapter 3. We actually start a new chapter tonight. And uh, this is lesson number 15 as we've been going through the book of Revelation. We've tried to keep moving. I have a tendency just to slow down. And uh, tonight we're going to try to finish the next church. This is not the shortest letter, the second shortest. And we're just going to start reading in chapter 3 and verse 1. And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest, and art dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments and they shall walk with me in white for they are worthy. He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Now, as we go through uh, these letters, there are two churches that Jesus has nothing uh, bad to say about. And this is a church he has nothing good to say about. Now, that is a scary thought, is it not? And this was a real church in a real city in the land, modern-day land of Turkey called Asia in the New Testament times in the first century. And as Jesus introduces himself to this church, he uses two uh, things that has already been alluded to several times and will continue to be through the rest of this book called the book of Revelation. He that hath the seven spirits of God. Now, if you really, really want to confuse someone... Uh, Islam has a real problem with the Bible because it's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And you say, you believe in three gods. No, one God. That's what the Bible teaches. He is just so big that in order to help us understand himself, he has revealed himself in three complete and separate persons. And yet, here in the book of Revelation, four different times, we are going to have a reference to the seven spirits of God. Now, if you've got a problem with the Trinity, now you're really going to get confused. Amen? And the simplest answer is usually the best when it comes to Scripture. Amen? Now, this phrase, the seven spirits of God, we'll just very quickly touch on them. Turn with me to verse 4 of chapter 1. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which, which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. Now turn over with me, if you would, to Revelation chapter 4 and verse 5. It says, And out of the throne proceedeth lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Verse 6, And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the world. Now, if you want to understand something in your Bible, read where it is found. Now, we have these seven spirits of God are mentioned as in in chapter 1 from 
Jesus Christ from the seven spirits of God. Here, Jesus introduces himself as having the seven spirits of God. And in Revelation 4 and 5, the seven spirits of God are pictured for us in seven burning lamps before the throne and in seven eyes upon the Lamb as if it had been slain. Somebody says, now I'm really confused. Well, you don't need to be. We have this mentioned here. It's just simply talking about the fullness or the completeness of the presence of God. We have... um, we, we take that idea and we can put it into every situation where it is used, the four different references that we look at. And what we are talking about is the vast presence of Almighty God. It is something that is what we basically refer to or may refer to as an idiom. Uh, I remember reading a missionary book Uh, Someone uh, back in the 1920s was trying to get into China, and they were told, come back in three days. Uh, That was the Chinese way of saying, take a hike, don't ever come back. Uh, The person, of course, didn't understand that, so they kept coming back in three days and frustrated the government there to the point where they were actually given an entry visa. Uh, And again, this was many years ago, but this idea of the seven spirits is is a similar usage there. It's And it is talking about the completeness or the fullness of the presence of God. Jesus is introducing himself to this church beyond the comprehension of human human beings. The omnipresent God. He also says that he hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. And as we've been over this before, the stars, the best we can understand, is a reference to the pastors of the church. If it is Jesus' church, then he ought to have control of the person that he has placed, humanly speaking, in that church to guide and to direct that church. Amen? Uh, And Jesus said, listen, I am coming to you with the presence and power of Almighty God. I am coming to you as he that is in charge, he that owns the pastors of those churches. And he said, I know thy works. You can almost hear it before he finishes the sentence. uh, Sardis, you are in deep trouble. Well, we find out they were actually past that stage. Jesus says, I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest. Now, this is one of the most frightening letters to me because this is a church that Jesus claimed as his own. This is a church that he took time to write a letter to. It was in existence. And he said, when anybody and everybody looks at you, when they hear the testimony of the church at Sardis, They believe that something is going on in Sardis. But I'm he that has the seven spirits of God. I know everything that is going on in this church. I am he that has the seven pastors. And I'm telling you, the funeral has already happened. The body has already been buried. The tombstone is up. The only problem is you don't know about it yet. This was not a Mark Twain event, as he wrote the editor of a paper to remind him that the uh, um, story about his funeral was greatly exaggerated, right? And um, this church thought it was alive. Things were still going on. It's interesting the progression that we see in the churches. The longest letter, the church of Thyatira, They had a lot of problems, but the church was still alive. He says, you got a name, but you're dead. 
Now, if they're dead, why does he make the next statement, be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die? For I have not found thy works perfect before God. Well, we come down here in verse 4, it says, Thou hast a few names. You see, Jesus is very careful. And this is what we mean by the body of Christ is not this universal, invisible thing that goes all over the world. It is an individual, local church. And I've had people say to me, try to explain this and say, that doesn't make sense. Uh, is there one head, which is Christ, with all these little bodies hanging off of it? And, and uh, of course, they were being a little sarcastic. And, and uh, I said, no, sir, it's not that way. Each individual church is as if it were the only church in existence. In that sense, it is a picture of the one church that will be assembled in heaven. The church that will be assembled in heaven is not in operation because some of it's still down here on earth. So until we get to heaven so that we can be a part of the body of Christ, we have the local visible church of Jesus Christ. You see, if we were all part of one body, Jesus could not address these seven churches as individuals, could he? How could he tell the church at Sardis they were dead and the church at uh, Thyatira that they needed to fix some things and the church at Ephesus, you're going to lose your candlestick, you're going to die as it cease being a church if they weren't individual bodies, individual churches complete in and of itself, responsible to Jesus Christ. A church can die. Now this brings up one other point that I want us just to touch on, and, and I'm trying to be careful not to make all the connections, otherwise we'd be all night right here in the first few verses. But Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, Jesus and when he is first explaining the church, he says, Behold, uh, let's just go there and read it. Matthew chapter 16. I am not sure my quoter is going to work tonight. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, if this church is dead, is Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18 still true? Well, of course it is. Because we start with the understanding that God's word does not contradict itself. The word I was looking for and couldn't find just a moment ago was postulate. Uh, that is an unprovable statement. It's right there. It is uh, a uh, not unprovable. It is a statement that which we do not prove, but we build other things on. God's word does not contradict itself. So how do we get the connection between this church dying and... The fact that Jesus' church shall not be prevailed against. Well, if we'll go back to our understanding of the church as made up of individual local churches until the time that Christ assembles us all together in heaven, guess what's still going on even if one church dies? Church over here, church over here, church over here, church over here. There has never been a time since Jesus uttered those words in Matthew chapter 16 until the present time that there has not been at least one functioning 
living body of Christ called a local church. Now, guess what? They weren't always named Baptist. Somebody said, I thought we got our name from John the Baptist. Uh, No, we did not get our name from John the Baptist. We got our name, actually, in the Middle Ages from those who argued about the issue of baby baptism. You see, Baptists have never believed in the baptism of infants. And so they used to call us Anabaptists because we were against the baptism. But, you know, that just didn't stick real well because we make a big deal about baptism, always have. And so they just, as things got a little kinder after the Dark Ages ceased, they began calling us Baptists because we baptize. And it was John who was called John the Baptist, not John the Baptizer. But our name comes from our practice of biblical immersion. That's where our name comes from. Our history is not in our name because that has changed. Our history is in our doctrine. And when a church ceases to preach and teach true doctrine, Jesus does not come down and blow up the building and kill everybody in it. The people still meet. Things still go on. But guess who does not come? Jesus doesn't come. But his church is still in existence. That is one part of the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Another part, and this is one of the passages where people love to go to say, you can lose your salvation. And we're going to explain that one in just a few moments as we go through here. But no person that has ever trusted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior that has been born again the Bible way has ever lost their salvation. And so as we look at Matthew 6... 16 verse 18, this church was dead, but that will be what happens to churches who stop preaching and teaching the truth of the Word of God. But that doesn't mean all churches will be dead. In fact, I've talked to people over the years. I had a fellow call me up actually three or four different times over a period of five or six years saying, I live in such and such a town and there's not one good church within driving distance. Well, I got out the atlas back then and now you do Google Maps and find out where this town is. And and, uh, I found out where the town was and started looking around and sent them an email and said, you know, there's a good church right here. It's about 25 miles away, but everything's 25 miles from where you live. And uh, because it was way out in the middle of like nowheresville. Oh, I've been to that church. It's not good church. Well, it wasn't when brother so-and-so was the pastor. Is he still the pastor? Oh, yeah, he's no good. I said, well, I know who's no good. (laughs) And it's not the pastor. Amen. Uh, I didn't tell him that, but... The, the simple truth of the matter is, if you want to attend a good church, Jesus will make a way. You might have to move. Not from Astoria, amen? <laughs> but, if you want to attend a church, you can, but there are churches that have a name that they live but they're dead. Now, here's where life comes from. And when this is no longer in the church, there's no more life. Now, does that mean that there won't be a big old Bible right up in front of the church? Well, that doesn't have anything to do with it. 
It's not what you see. It's let's well, let's just jump in there. It says here to strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. So how are they going to strengthen these things? The church is dead. There's some people that are still living there that love the Lord. And here's what he tells them to do. Remember, verse 3, Therefore, how thou hast received, and heard, and hold fast. Now, they're supposed to remember a few things. Now, it's interesting. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received. Now, in English, that is a sentence that we would call awkward. Uh, the wording is difficult. It's not just uh, a simple idea here. But if we'll just put it into its basic points, you're supposed to remember why. You're supposed to remember because you're to be watchful and strengthen the things which remain the things that if you don't watch and you don't strengthen, they're going to die just like everything else has at Sardis. How thou hast received. Do you remember how you first received the word of God? Maybe somebody gave you a gospel tract. Maybe a friend knocked on your door and said, I'm going to this church and it's really different and I want you to come. Uh, there are many different ways that you could find out. But when you first got the gospel, somebody came and preached the, the gospel, the words of God. That's why the next statement says, and heard. Faith cometh how? By hearing. It is the foolishness of what? Preaching. This is how God started his church in Matthew chapter 16 and how he intends to keep it going in the year 2011. That's why the center of every one of our services is the teaching and the preaching of the Word of God. We're having a men's breakfast Saturday morning, and I saw everything that Dave got today to make breakfast Saturday morning, and I'll tell you what, it's going to be good. But you know what? Brother Horton's coming over to preach because we don't get together. Now, when our ladies get together, we have ladies preach to the ladies. Amen? When the whole church gets together... We'll have someone come. When the men come in, we'll have preaching and teaching of God's word. That's how you received and heard and hold fast. You know what? There's nothing new in the word of God. And yet, what do we hear every place we go talking about Christianity? If you turn on any of the Christian uh, radio or television stations, if you uh, uh, subscribe to any Christian email list or any of that stuff, there's always going to be this new method to reach, new this and new that. Let me tell you, if it's new, it's not Bible. He is telling this church at Sardis, you already have everything you need. I am not going to sit here and repeat Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. You have Paul's letters. Uh, you have Luke's history. This was the last book of the Bible to be written. And it is interesting that he doesn't say, now, here is what you need to do, church at Sardis, to make things right. He says, remember. That means you already have it. You just forgot. Don't you hate when you forget something? Oh, man, I do it all the time. Somebody said, as you get older, 
What is it? The, the first sign of getting older is you start forgetting things, and the other things on the list I just forgot, right? Uh, I mean, it just... But that's what happened at the church of Sardis, and Jesus said, hey, you got a name. Things are going on. You have a name that you live, but you're dead because I'm not there. I am not the power source. Now, there's still a few of you. Remember, go back to the word of God. Take what you have received, what you've heard. Hold fast. And here's the command. The command is to repent. Now, about... um, Oh, I can't remember the exact number of years, but it was well over 25 years ago. Some people who claimed to be leaders in in uh, fundamental independent Baptist churches got into a big argument about the word repentance. And it was just amazing to hear all the things that were going back. Repent is a Bible word. Jesus said, Nay, but except ye repent, ye shall likewise perish. The word repent simply means that something happens in here that changes the direction you're walking in. When you repent of your sins, what were you doing before you repented? Well, maybe you were religious. Maybe you were taking your sins to the church. Maybe you were confessing them to someone and telling them all the bad things that you'd done. Maybe you were, on the other hand, you uh, may have been very studious and kept a little book of everything that you did wrong and then right beside it put something good down that you did to pay for the wrong thing that you did. I don't know anybody that does that. But if you talk to people, they would think you would think that they did. Well... I'm just trying to keep the Ten Commandments. Uh, Could you please tell me what they are? And something happened here, Stephen. And um, if you were trying to get to heaven by the keeping of the Ten Commandments, don't you think you would want to learn them first? You see... They had forgotten. They needed to repent. You need to repent to get saved. But let me ask you, dear Christian. I already spent some time this afternoon asking myself about this. How many times do you, dear friend, need to repent? How many times do we need to stop and say, whoa, I'm drawing a line. I'm not going over it anymore. I'm turning around because I'm not heading toward Christ. I'm allowing myself to drift away. Repentance is how you get saved. It wouldn't hurt to have a little bit whenever we stray. Amen? Because we do not want to get to the place where the church at Sardis was. And so he comes and he says, I want you to repent. Now, you say, how do I know whether I need to repent or not? Well, it's real easy. Remember how thou hast received. If you got the Bible, check it. If you don't match, repent. It's just that simple. And he tells them to do one other thing. He he gives them a, a, a negative command there. It says, if therefore thou shalt not watch. So what are they supposed to do? They're supposed to watch. How many stories did Jesus give? He said, you better be prepared. If the man had known what hour the thief was going to break in, he would have stopped that process from happening said, you better watch, because if you're not watching, you're not going to be prepared. Not going to be prepared for what? Well, Jesus used that in reference to his coming, but here I believe that he is talking about the funeral of the church. You see, Jesus had the funeral. He put up the tombstone. 
But the body decided they weren't going to show up, right? Wrong. They were dead. They just hadn't figured it out yet. You know what? Hollywood tries to write all kinds of horror movies. They have never written one that bad, now have they? Where the person doesn't even show up for the funeral, but they're dead. That's what went on in Sardis. Jesus judged this church as dead, and he said, you don't know when that's going to happen. How many times have people sat and heard the preaching of God's word and said, you know, I need to get saved, but they don't do it. And that night, they wandered into eternity. That's what he's talking about. How many churches have said things aren't going the way they ought to go. We need to see some things happen here. And yet they don't go back to the Word of God to get somebody else's book and somebody else's program and something here and something there. Hey, we're just going to try to get back to what the Bible says. Uh, we're not trying to be exciting necessarily. I mean, try to try to make it so that you will pay attention, but... We've got to get into the words. And if we don't get out and dig into these words and learn what they're saying, we're going to run the risk of going the way of the church at Sardis. And we could spend all night just talking about churches that have done that. Churches in this city that once thundered the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today, you couldn't get saved in that building if you had a battalion and a pack of bloodhounds, battalion of marines and a pack of bloodhounds looking for it because they don't preach the word anymore. They're trying to build bridges. They're, they're trying to see what we have in common. They're trying to disagree about the minor things and agree on the major things. Well, what's the major things? Well, the major things is that we all love Jesus. Now, don't you agree with me? Well, what did Jesus say? If you love me, what? Keep my commandments. Oh, that gets kind of narrow. Oh, you're a mean-spirited preacher. No. I just want to remember how thou hast received. And heard. And hold fast. And repent. And watch. Because you won't have any understanding of when the Lord's going to come and no more candle. You're not going to know. And yet, the next verse tells us hey, you have a few names, even in Sardis. Now, boy, is that not? a wholesale condemnation, even in Sardis. There's a few. If you're looking for the truth, never look for the crowd. Jesus said, Straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments. Let me ask you a question. How do you defile your garments as a believer in God? Well, you just add something to the scriptures. Amen. You don't have to add a whole lot to the Bible to miss salvation. About 190 or so years ago, a young man named Alexander Campbell was in a Presbyterian church and was having all kinds of problems there. And so he said, I'll go join the Baptist church for a while. And he went over there and it wasn't too long before they said, hey, you know, you're not teaching what the Bible says. And they said, you're not welcome here because... If you're not going to teach what the Bible says, you have no place in a Baptist church. So he went out and started his own called the Church of Christ. Now, there's many varieties of that, 
there's the Church of Christ, New York City. There's the Disciples of Christ. There's uh, United Church of Christ. There's all these different groups that have been offshoots of this one man named Alexander Campbell. And if you've ever met anybody that believes in that doctrine, they will talk like, you've got to believe in Jesus and you've got to repent of your sins. And boy, you're sitting there going, wow. But you've got to be baptized if it's going to be real. Now, wait a minute. What did we just do? If I'm depending upon the mixture of the waters and the baptistry with my faith, am I depending upon Jesus alone? Do you see how tricky it gets? That's what happened in Sardis, and that's why they were dead. They stopped believing what the Bible teaches about salvation. You know, one thing I've often tried to ask people who are struggling uh, with the knowledge of their salvation, and most Christians will go through a period in their life where they doubt their salvation and have problems. Am I really saved? And go over this. And one of the things I like to bring up, Jesus likens the physical birth to the spiritual birth. When's the last time you ever picked up one of them little babies floating around the nursery and said, are you alive? That would be a dumb thing to say now, wouldn't it? You know that baby's alive because it's there. He, she, uh, they're there. Amen? Why doesn't it work that way spiritually? It ought to, shouldn't it? And it will when you just surrender to the Word of God. Let me tell you something. You can only pretend to obey the Bible on your own effort for so long. In fact, if you're really doubting your salvation, just try to be obedient to the Word of God. And you'll find out really soon whether you're depending on yourself because you're just going to fall flat on your face. You're going to give up. Well, then it's time to get saved. Amen. And put your faith and trust in Jesus and Him alone. That's what was going on in Sardis. They were no longer preaching the truth. They were no longer holding fast to the words of God. They had changed the method of salvation. And by the way, all you have to do to change the method of salvation is add the teeniest little bit of things. Many churches teach that you can lose your salvation. Well, let me ask you a question. If you believe on Jesus to save you and your works to keep that salvation, whom are you ultimately trusting your salvation with? Well, it's you. And faith in you will not get you to heaven. There were still a few whose only righteousness was the righteousness of Jesus Christ. By the way, that's the only way You can have undefiled garments. Amen. Is your righteousness must belong to Christ. You get it from Him. It is something that He loans us. It is something we do not deserve. And it says, these that have not defiled their garments, they're going to walk with me. Why? Well, let's remember they're going to walk with me in white. I was looking over a commentary. I get so frustrated with commentaries. The guy gave five different explanations of the white garment. He said, well, it might mean the the garment of the victors. Uh, When they had a victory parade in ancient uh, first century Asia, they dressed in white. Now, has anybody else ever heard that weird thing? I've never heard that. I mean, when they had the old Roman soldiers marching through the streets, there was nobody dressed in white, not even in the movies. Uh, If it had been that important, don't you think they would have put it in there? They put everything else in there. Let me tell you, it's white because it's the righteousness of Christ through works that you did not do, which Jesus did in your place. 
It is the repentance and the forgiveness of sins that allows us to walk in white. It's only the work of Christ that makes us worthy. He's talking about those that had defiled garments weren't going to walk with him. And we know the Bible doesn't contradict itself. You don't lose your salvation. But the Bible talks often and many times about a lot of people who think they haven't, that never did. Why would that happen at the church in Sardis? Because it was a dead church. The truth was not being preached. Life comes from Christ. Christ was no longer there. So how do people get saved in a dead church? They don't. Verse 5, He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. It's kind of interesting here that he uses this language, He that overcometh. When he's talking about a dead church, he said, Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, there's going to be those that are going to walk with me because they are worthy, not because of what they have done, but because of simply obeying the Word of God. Now, it talks about those that overcome. If you want to overcome, you've got to obey the Word of God. The greatest enemy that you will ever overcome is the reflection in the mirror. It's you. But God will give you the victory over yourself. He will give you the victory over false religious teaching. That's what was going on in the name of Sardis. This church was dead, he said. But Jesus' truth was still going on. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. It's not been prevailed against. Amen. You'll notice that he doesn't promise anything special. He just says, you're going to be saved. And then we come to one of the most interesting and uh, uh, elastitized portions of the scripture. I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Now, this tells us that there is a real book called the book of life. And that there are names written in that book. Now, the Bible tells us that God is not willing that any should perish. Amen. He wants every person to come to repentance. If we just take this passage in its simplest wording and place it into the context of the entire scripture, what we simply have is every human being started out with their name written in the book of life. And when they died without Christ when they refused his payment for their sins, when they sealed their fate, eternally their name was blotted out. Now someone said, but that book was written before the foundation of the world. Yes, but let me ask you a question. Does God not know who will be saved and who will not be saved? Yes, he does. God's predestination, if you want to use it that way, is built upon his foreknowledge. God does not force any person. And that's what this passage clearly teaches. It's he is going to take those names that refused his salvation and those names are going to be blotted out of the book of life. It's not God's fault you miss heaven. 
He has already done far and beyond everything imaginable so that any human being that has ever lived could have saving faith in Jesus Christ. That's why I refuse to be identified as a Calvinist. But I refuse to be identified as an Arminian. I'm not going to fit in your theological pigeonholes. I want to be a believer in the scriptures. Amen. And this simply says that one of the promises there is that your name would not be blotted out. Well, if your name's not going to be blotted out, well, then whose name is? Those that defiled their garments because they no longer believed in the things of the Bible. It wasn't that they started believing in the things of the Bible and then refused. Their name was written in the book of life. And when they died without Christ. So what did Jesus say? Matthew chapter 7, many other passages. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. What's an I what? Never, never knew thee. Salvation comes from the word of God. That word of God was preached in the city of Sardis. There was a church established. That church grew. That church was doing the right things. That church became neglectful. That church got to the point to where Jesus said, you got a testimony. Everybody thinks something's going on in Sardis, but I'm the one that has the seven spirits of God. I know everything that is going on in this world. I am the one that holds those seven stars in my hand, and this church is dead. But there's a few that still believe they're going to walk with me. They're going to be dressed in white because they're going to have my righteousness and not theirs. Their name is not going to be blotted out of the book of life. And it says, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Just very quickly in closing. He says, I will confess his name. What did Jesus say? If you deny my name before men, I'm going to deny you. If you confess my name before men, I'm going to confess your name. Isn't that a wonderful promise? How many of you have ever been embarrassed by somebody who said, yeah, I know, and your name was in the sentence. And you're going, no, don't tell them you know me. I remember one night in the break room at work where I was a student in Bible college, the Lord had given just an opportunity to present the Bible to the people I worked with. And it was just incredible. It, was, it almost felt like a church service in the break room, and all of a sudden one of the ladies lit up her cigarette, blew smoke all over the room and said, yeah, you got to listen to Pete. He really knows what he's talking about. I believe the Bible just like he does. Let me tell you something. That was the end of it right there. Nobody was going to listen to me because of what? But Jesus is saying, I'm not going to be embarrassed to read your name. Isn't that a wonderful thought? I mean, how many bad things have you done? How many times have we failed the Savior? How many times have we not done what the Bible told us to do? And he says, listen, even in Sardis, I got a few. And I'm going to confess their names to the whole world. I'm going to confess it to my father. I'm going to confess it before the angels. This one belongs to me. Now, I don't ever want Open Door Bible Baptist Church to become a church like the church at Sardis. But let me tell you, many churches have. There's only one way.
That's what it means. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. How did you receive the Word of God? God sent a preacher. We have a church. Amen? So what are we going to do if we ever have to get a new preacher? We're going to get one that does the same thing. Amen? And just keep with the Word of God. When somebody comes for a new and improved version of new and improved methodology, well, that's fine. You have at it. Just do it somewhere else. Amen? Not here. You say, but you've got to keep up with the times. Well, we use computers. We drive vehicles. We even have a video projector. But we use old pictures. Amen? <laughs> But the simple truth of the matter is everything we have in here is so we can present the word of God more clearly. And all God's people said, Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this night and Lord, we ask that we would take to heart the warning that you have given to this church, the edict that it was no longer even alive. Lord, We ask that that would put some fear in our souls and in our practice. Lord, that we would not be willing to try something new, but get busy with the things you've already given us. Lord, keep us true to your word. Keep us true in the things that we do. Lord, we want to serve you till you come. And we pray that if there be one here tonight that is not saved, that they would at least be moved one step closer to discarding all of the things of the world and false religion and trusting only in the righteousness which Jesus gives through his work on the cross. We ask you to work in our lives that we may walk with you one day. Not because of what we have done, but because of what you have done. Lord, that you would confess our names and be willing to be identified with us again because you saved us. Lord, we ask you to work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's just keep.